What's up, sober family? Welcome to I Kissed Alcohol Goodbye, the podcast for newly sober people learning to love ourselves instead of booze. Once you do that, once you take your dream and you take a step towards it, that it builds your confidence to do the next thing. Failure used to look like to me like everything that didn't work out for me that I didn't do. And at this point, it I so sincerely believe that failure would have been not trying to do that one thing that's always been in my heart that I wanted to do. And at a certain point, you take all those steps, even if they're small steps, and you see the path suddenly becomes clear, like why you are where you are. Today, my guest is Nicole Huff, who is the founder and editor-in-chief of After Magazine with emphasis on the AF. It's the magazine for non-drinkers, the sober curious, and anyone examining their relationship with alcohol. And it's publishing its first issue the first week of December, 2022, which is when this episode is gonna air. Nicole holds an MBA from the University of Chicago's Booth School of Business, a BA in Economics and International Relations from Bucknell University, and a bartending certificate from the New York Bartending School. She's a mother of two almost grown children and their dog, Sadie, and they live in New Jersey. And you're going to love Nicole's story and her passion for the alcohol-free community. So sit tight and we'll get rolling with that in just a minute. I'm your host, Dana Kroll. I'm a former army chaplain who developed a toxic relationship with alcohol after leaving the military. I stayed on a roller coaster of rock bottoms, recoveries, and relapses until finally, in the winter of 2022, I found my way out of the cycle by connecting with people like you. After kissing alcohol goodbye, my goal is to never go back, but I can't do it alone. So let's break up with booze together. With me in the studio, as always, are Al K. Halfrey, my spirit animal for sobriety, and Spruce, my PTSD service dog, who is off-camera napping as usual. And before Nicole and I start our chat, I just want to quickly say that if you're new to sobriety and you're looking for a group of people to be your sober community, please come join the I Kissed Alcohol Goodbye Sober Family Facebook group. The link is in the show notes, or you can search Facebook groups for I Kissed Alcohol Goodbye. And now let's get this alcohol-free party started. Nicole, welcome to the show. And thanks so much for taking time out of a, a busy schedule to come. And like right before the launch, you're coming on the show with us. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, Dana. Thank you for having me. I'm very glad to be here. And it's perfect timing for me. We're really starting to kick things into gear and it's been going great so far. Yeah, you got a launch party coming up on uh, December 1st. And then the print version is going to be coming out shortly after that. So like, Tell us about, um, you know, your story and what led you through uh, realizing that your relationship with alcohol needed to change. And then what brought you to this wonderful magazine that uh, is the world's going to get to experience here very soon. Thank you. So, yes, we are having a launch party December 1st in New York City. And um, that's actually I'm really looking forward to that. We have some great brands involved. And um, and the, like you said, the print issue is coming out that same week. Yep. And it's, it's a, I don't know if it's a long story or a short story. It depends on where you start. I could go <laughs> all the way back. But we, I this magazine came from my own journey with sobriety and giving up alcohol. I gave up alcohol December 6th. It will be two years officially. And I'd say my journey with sobriety or being sober curious began about a year before that. So that was September of 2019 and was probably a very long time coming. And it's funny, I haven't, I've gone on podcasts. I haven't talked that much about that journey, particularly. I've talked a lot about the magazine, but I think it's worth telling. And it's such a, it's an important part of it. Um, and the longer I go in this post, you know, giving up alcohol, the further back I go in seeing where it really began, you know, things I never even thought about in my early teenage years that happened. And I'm like, ah, oh, that makes so much sense. That's why this happened. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, for years and years, I say, um, you know, I started drinking when I was 14. And 
I, when I, when I analyze this, I look along all the stages and it was kind of like, that's just what people were doing. I really kind of fell into like, that's what people did. That's what everyone around me was doing. But I also go back a little farther now and I see some things that happened when I moved to a new town when I was nine. And when, when alcohol sort of appeared in my life at 14, I was already looking for acceptance and happy to be part of this group that was um, all drinking together. And it was just like, yeah, I found my crowd. Like, this is great. And it wasn't a rebellious crowd. I was a good student, you know, and that <laughs> it was this kind of di- dichotomy that lasted for a very long time. And that sounds um, very familiar. That's, right? that's what a lot, what my story was like too. Yeah. And I have two teenage kids. So this terrifies me now at this point yeah. when I think about it, that, and I think they, I don't think they're doing that. I, I don't want to be naive, but they'll tell me what they see around them. And they're like, mom, they were drinking so much. And <laughs> I was like, oh God, I don't want them to know what I was doing. <laughs> um, uh, and I try not to preach to them, you know, cause that's just, that doesn't do anything for anyone, but yeah. So I kind of went with the flow. I'd say my relationship with alcohol was questionable from the beginning because of that, because I was searching for validation, but I didn't really realize it at the time. And that continues now at college after college and, um, and then becoming a mom, it's sort of the same thing. I fell into this mommy wine culture. You know, there's a very strong message that's sent to women that, you know, you can do it all, you can have it all. And here's a glass of wine, you deserve it. And yeah. you should have this and that. And that's a really big part of it. And I remember, we had this kind of stands out in my mind, we had an au pair when my kids were very young, who were still very close with and uh, she was from Germany. And she said, why do you why do you have a glass of wine every night? Like, it didn't even make sense to her. You know, wine mm-hmm. is for celebration. Why? And she saw that everyone around me was also doing the same thing, but it was very odd to her. And I was kind of like, I, I didn't have an answer. Like, why don't, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> you know? That's just what people do. Yeah. And that really, I mean, I'm going way back, but that really evolved. So then over a number of years, my marriage was not going well and ended in, in divorce and it became sort of an emotional regulator. So you can see like the progression, it began to, it went from maybe a, um, an unhealthy or questionable relationship to a toxic relationship, which I heard you say yeah. in your intro to the point where my life was really becoming undoable. You know, that I was kind of hiding what I was doing. I didn't even want to drink with friends anymore. Cause I just, I was making me very shaky and, um, I'm turning 50 in January. So I was 47 at this time. And I was like, I'm starting to forget. Even if I had one drink, I was forgetting things that were going on. Um, You're turning 50. I am turning. I like, I thought I might've had a couple of years on you. Seriously. Anyway, sorry for interrupting you. (laughs) And I'll come back to that. Cause I think a lot of women in my age group are going through similar things, but um, yeah, yeah, at 47, suddenly my body was like no more. And it was making it very difficult to function the way I wanted to. And continue drinking. And I feel like, yeah, it was just, it was becoming having a different effect on me. And um, I was doing, I mentioned to you, I was doing these cooking live streams every week during the pandemic. And it got to the point where I was like, I, it's either the alcohol or the, um, the live streams because it was so much work and focus. And there was no way I'd be able to have that focus um, and keep doing it. So I gave up alcohol yeah, in December yeah. of 2020. But I actually did try once before that. So a year before that, I gave up alcohol for nine months. And I was I was away with my kids for the weekend and I didn't bring anything, which wasn't really like me. And um, I wasn't feeling well. And I just realized I feel better without it, obviously, you know. And for nine months, 
I didn't have anything. And then during the pandemic, the summer of 2020, I, it wasn't even, I don't call it a relapse because I wasn't like, I need a drink. It was more like, I think I'm fine now. I think I'm fine. And I think a lot of people go through this too. You know, I was like, it's been nine months. Maybe my body is detoxed and I can, um, I won't forget things if I have a drink or I won't be processing it so badly. And I tried again and I was very wrong, very wrong about that. (laughs) So by December, when I really stopped for good, I, I, I'm, I'm actually happy that that happened because I got an awareness about how much better I felt. So I knew that if I gave it up again, I would feel so great again. And also confirmation that I know it's not for me. I know what will happen if I try to drink again. And it's um, from that point, you know, once two weeks in after I stopped for for good, it's like, there's been no looking back every morning. I'm just so happy that I feel so much better and so great. Well, and I think you had said in another interview that you wouldn't have been able to to have undertaken this magazine right. project idea no with that if you were still drinking. I mean, obviously, it's about the whole thing right. is about <laughs> not drinking. But Any if you similar, were, yeah, 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 no, that's absolutely true. Like, there's just there was no way that my dreams were going to be met. So I, I use the phrase like in polite company, I'll say like, it wasn't part of my best life or it wasn't my best path forward or like, but that, I don't mean to minimize it when I say that, like, that is absolutely true, but there's also a lot more to it, you know, yeah, yeah. it's a very like pat way of saying it, but it is also true that my best life and the goals I had and the things I wanted to do were not going to happen if I continued. How has it been for you socially since you quit? Cause you know, you talked about mommy wine culture and it just kind of being that standard social lubricant, uh, yeah. you know, what's it been like for you friendship and family wise since, since you quit, if you don't mind me asking. Um, I, I won't say my case is typical because I think the idea of losing friends scares people away from, yeah. mm-hmm. from not drinking. And I, my friend group has shifted for sure, but I still have a lot of the same friends, but I, I, I kind of joke about this. I don't know if it's really a joke, but like between the pandemic, giving up alcohol, being divorced and being super career focused right now, yeah. <laughs> my friend group has shrunk significantly. You know, there are some friends who are my drinking friends that those friendships have gone by the wayside and mm-hmm. I don't have too many real feelings about that. I think that's natural at this point. Yeah. And I think, you know, when you're, anyone who's kind of trying to achieve the next level, there will be people that aren't coming with you on that journey. Yeah. Um, And I have, yeah. And I think that's a big topic on its own, but I also have a lot of friends who are very supportive and a lot who are coming to the party who may still drink themselves, but they're curious about what I'm doing and, um, and have reached out and said, they think it's great. And I had a friend group over the summer. I had a friend staying with me for a week and all of our high school friends got together and I put out, wine and I put out alcohol-free wine. I had a selection of things and people only chose the alcohol-free wine. And I thought for two days and I thought, wow, how interesting is this? <laughs> and I didn't cut, I didn't want to, I opened the regular wine so they wouldn't feel funny about opening it. I wanted yeah. to just whatever you want. That's yeah. like, an, you could do a scientific study on, that could be like a good, I'm thinking back to my like uh, psychology minor days, like we could do like an experiment on this and like right. <laughs> some grad student could write their thesis on that or something. It's true. <laughs> the behavior, I was just observing and I thought if I mention it, everyone's going to say like, I, I want to know, but I don't want to interrupt the flow of what's happening. Yeah. Is that, is that hard for you to, to have, was it, or is it hard for you to have the alcohol options there? I mean, is, has that, talk to me more about that. Cause I, I think that's fascinating that you're, you're able to do that. And I think it, I think it's great that you're able to do it. I, I'm not sure if I would be able to, so I'm, tell me more about that. 
I find that I'm able to do that. And um, I understand that a lot of people not are not able to do that and probably should not do that if it's if it is in any way triggering to them or makes them want something um i kind of wanted to hold on to the ability to like smell a glass of wine to see if it pairs with a food like from almost from a food and culinary perspective yeah. i don't do it much though there was maybe there's maybe been two times where i thought mm, maybe i shouldn't have done that <laughs> you know <laughs> the drink i used to like or that kind of thing yeah. um but i don't feel tempted by it when it's around like that like on christmas i will serve wine and i'm grateful for that i think um i have i know that's not the case for everyone and i think i really hold on i sound i even saying this out loud i sound like oh god don't be so pollyanna about it you know but um i really hold on to this gratitude that i'm like there's no way i want to wake up tomorrow feeling so awful you know and i know what will happen if i do that so it doesn't tempt me right now at least. And I'm grateful for that. Yeah. Awesome. And maybe your bartending background is part of that too, where you just, you're comfortable with drinks in general and you just enjoy the act of making drinks. Like if you go to the after magazine website, the, there's a picture of you pouring a, like a, a mocktail at your, so at your alcohol-free bar that you're filming from right now, I think if the back, if I've got the background, right. So like, it's, you know, maybe that's just part of your own psychology of where it's, it's just the joy of making the drink itself. Right. It is. It's almost like chemistry and cooking and all that to me at this point. Cool. Yeah. Cool. And I also, it, it's not about other people, but I also like, I don't want to force anything on other people. I'd rather yeah. leave my example and kind of just let them have their own journey. What do you think about, so along that line, do you think that um, this magazine is going to be, disru- I, I, I don't get the disruptive vibe from you and from, you know, this publication. It's not like, here we are, you know, here we are, big alcohol, fuck you guys and whatever. It's not like, it, I, I don't get that sense from you. It's more of like positive focus for like, here, here is what's positive for alcohol-free options. Is that right? Is that kind of the, the tack that you're, you're hoping to take with the magazine? Yes. I think it's disruptive in the sense that we're trying to show an alternative lifestyle to people mm-hmm. who may not know that that's something that's out there for them. You know, they may think, oh, I don't feel good, but they don't know that this all exists. And in the sense that we're trying to normalize the message that it's okay and it's normal to not drink and try to get that message to the point where we don't even have to say it. That would be the end goal. You know, of course it's normal not to drink. That's where we want to head in that direction. But not in the sense, we're not disruptive in the sense of like, we're trying to push anybody down or tell you, you can't do this or that. You know, of course there are issues with big alcohol and the way it has been purposefully marketed to people for profit, of course, it's true. But um, my hope is that those companies will get on board with this, you know, and they have in, in a small way, I think I looked at the website of the top 18 big alcohol companies to see what they're offering couple of weeks ago. And there are a few, uh, you know, there's a, obviously Guinness and Heineken, a few products out there, but I think mm-hmm. what happened in this industry is that th- these smaller brands are going to consolidate under those companies, smaller yeah. alcohol-free brands for better or for worse, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And maybe, you know, cause I have seen some commercials for like Heineken zero um, and other, uh, a handful of other, maybe Budweiser NA, I'm trying to remember which ones and, and, you know, I I can get on a big alcohol rant and then realize like I, I'm still buying this NA beer from from that company, so I'm trying I to not. Like your hands are kind of tied. Like, so <laughs> yeah. like, I, yeah, I don't want to. I don't know. I'm I'm sure I'm a hypocrite in in many ways in my life. That being one of them. But do you think maybe 
this is something that just takes time and it, it has things like sober bars come along and like here in Columbus, Ohio, there's the dry mill, which is downtown Columbus, um, which is down in like the cool trendy like bar area and um, is an alcohol free bar. And there is right up the road from where I live in, in, a, in the suburb, there's the, uh, I believe it's the U.S. headquarters of BrewDog. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, they're, they've got a lot of great um, alcohol-free options. Do you think it's just something that's just going to organically take time to to kind of steep into the, the culture at large? I do think so. And I think there is this, like you mentioned, it's in a hip neighborhood. I think there is a coolness about it that's coming, if not here already, that sort of this is being led by millennials and younger that they're saying goodbye to alcohol just out of choice. Maybe they're not looking for as much validation as we all were. You know, there seems to be a more open sense about the younger generation. And um, yeah, I think it starts with these like hip bar downtown and a nice shop and someone providing information like we're trying to do and making it sort of a more of a mainstream thing. But I don't think it will go backwards from here. It's only going to go. Okay. You think you've yeah. kind of reached a tipping point or like, like the momentum is built enough that it's probably, you know, big alcohol sees that the money as the money, you know, people, we, we vote with what we buy. Right. And so like, as they see where the money goes in terms of sales that you think that, that it, that it is just going to increase from here on out. I think so. I do believe that that will happen. And I think the same thing in the restaurant industry that slowly, so slowly, restaurants are starting to catch on that this is um, good for business. To at least have the alcohol-free options there, right? So that you don't get the, if you ask for a mocktail, you don't get a a crazy look from the server or from the bartender, like what the hell's wrong with you? Right. I'm so immersed in this at this point that I kind of expect that when I go to a restaurant and then I'm I'm continually disappointed. (laughs) 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 But there are, but I, I try to seek out restaurants, especially I live near New York City. So we'll seek out places that have them on the menu where I can see some offerings before I go there. And I think more and more people will be, will be doing that. Well, and talk to me about mocktailquest.com, which is a part of your broader endeavor. I, I would, you know, I want the listeners to hear about that website too. Yes. I'm glad you mentioned that because that will be live by the time this podcast airs. And we are putting together um, a search engine of places that offer alcohol-free beverages um, and events. So I think I mean, our categories are shops, so alcohol-free bottle shops, restaurants and bars, um, events and sobriety resources, searchable by location, by category to find what's near you. And especially the events I'm excited about. There are a lot of great things happening in this space, a lot of retreats and trips and um, those types of things. So those will be available on there as well. And then it will include not just, you know, shops that are 100% alcohol free, which are wonderful, but also like Total Wine sells um, a lot of alcohol-free products. So they will be listed as well, but it will say, you know, either hundred percent alcohol-free or offers alcohol-free options and the same for restaurants. Awesome. Yeah. That's going to be great when that launch, because I, I saw you do have some places listed right now. And I thought, what a great idea for someone to be able to go and just look up if you're, if you're out and about and you're like, where or you're traveling and you're in a new town, you don't know where to go. Could yeah. be a great way to to look something up. I think it's important. Like people will frequently ask me, like, tell me, give me a list of every place in New York that offers mocktails. And I'm like, I, I just don't have that information. Like it's there are a lot of articles, you know, Time Out New York has an article, 10 Bust Places for Mocktails, but um it takes a lot of research to find that information. So I'm hoping to make that easier. 
Tell me more about it. Are there any uh, special focal points for the magazine? Are you going to center each quarterly issue around a certain topic or is it just going to be um, a, kind of a, a, a collection of different discussions? Because I know you've got a, a variety of different writers who are of backgrounds and uh, and specialties that are writing for you. It's exciting. Yes, it is really exciting. I haven't talked that much about like the creation of the magazine, but it's been, you know, I've gone from here's an idea, maybe I should write it myself, I don't know, you know, to just a, a, this huge group of people that have come out of the woodwork and writers and influencers and beverage producers that are contributing to this. And um, each one sort of has a theme. I mean, the, the spring one will be sort of an outdoorsy hiking, natural ingredients, that type of thing. But overall, um, we want to include food and drink um, with, a, with a small emphasis on mocktails, but more about lifestyle. So thoughts on sobriety, travel stories, um, lessons that people have learned along the way. I think that's those stories are always really great. You know, just finding yourself and what what people have learned along the way and how to help other people who are in that same situation. Tell me more. I, I'm excited to read this magazine. Like, and I want, but I want to hear more about this when it was March, 2022, because we, we both had some inspiration that month. Like that's when I launched this little podcast and you were like, you were conceptualizing this, this magazine. Talk to me about what it was like to have this idea and to then go for it. Because I think we can phrase in early sobriety, it's easy to go like, gosh, I miss this, this, and this about alcohol, even though you don't miss things like hangovers, but like I'm just thinking like how much more has opened up to me because I stopped drinking like, and you had said earlier, you know, that you wouldn't have been able to do this if you were still drinking. So tell me about, you know, that creative process and what, what gave you the, the moxie to just go for it? Because I think there's people who are in early sobriety who, you know, maybe have these ideas and they, they maybe are lacking the confidence or wondering, is it something that they, that they should do this idea that they have? Yeah, those are great questions. And it's true. You know, the moxie to go for it. I don't know if I had that before either, but um, yeah, it gives you such a clearer head when you're not drinking. And I just, and the great, the gratitude and all that, but the, um, the goal from the beginning was to make it kind of sexy and cool not to drink. And um, where I know before, before I ever learned any of this and I was still drinking the idea of a mocktail was like, that's stupid. <laughs> yeah. Know? Right. Right. Like what's the freaking point? Yeah. <laughs> why would you want that? And especially then, you know, mocktails were a glass of juice, but it would say mocktail. And I was like, why would anybody want this? And of course I've changed my tune a whole 180, but so I was making mocktail videos and I realized, you know, I'm actually, despite my bartending certificate, I'm a better cook than I am a mixologist. And um, I was like, I need other people's input on this. And then the more people I started talking to and the more people who were responding to what I was doing, I realized, you know, this has to be about more than me because when I gave up alcohol, I didn't know any of this was out there. And I think if I, that was true for me, that must be true for a lot of people. And um, how do you reach those people who aren't even Googling like what alcohol-free content is there? And how do you reach those people? And one of the ways is this wasn't like a bolt of lightning. I did a brainstorm on that and one any kind of physical thing, anything that can get out there in the world beyond the community that already exists. And the idea I came up with was a magazine and specifically a print magazine. So yeah. that it's, you know, on a newsstand, in a store, in your friend's house, and something that will um, sort of disrupt the online habits that we all have. So, uh, and, and I think that's the gutsiest part of it all from, I mean, just from a lay person's perspective, from a consumer's perspective, it's like, oh, wow, like you're, you're going to, you're going to put that bad boy in print and like go for it 
which I mean, is it, was that a scary decision for you to, to go that route or, or it was just kind of like organic to like what you, the, the vision that you had for it. It sounds like maybe it was that was the vision from the start, but I will yeah. say a lot of people along the way who said like print is dead. What are you doing? This is dumb. Yeah. And, um, not in those words exactly, but close enough. Yeah. Um, so while print is certainly has declined, the alcohol-free movement is growing in huge percentage leaps, like 5% a year minimum. And print is having a bit of a resurgence as well. You know, okay. Food and Wine magazine is doing great. I think people are maybe bucking the trend that we've gone too far in the digital direction and people yeah. want something tangible again. So I think those two things offset the decline in print. And it, I, as I realized that, and as more and more people said, they feel the way I do, they said, oh, I love magazines. I love a physical magazine. And um, that gave me confidence. To yeah, I'm, we're a book nerd family and, you know, we've got books everywhere and I'll, you know, sometimes be like, God, I know, there's so many books, but for me, there's, there is something about holding that. And I guess that I say good for you for, for going for it and trusting your gut. And maybe that's a lesson and a takeaway for, you know, the listeners is, is like, if you have this vision and you have this dream, uh, maybe just go for it and, and don't worry so much about what the broader culture is doing before, before I, uh, before the episode started, Nicole and I were talking about, um, how, you know, before I started the, the podcast, I was like, I didn't, I didn't Google. I would have seen there were dozens of podcasts and Nicole said, good for you. It's good that you didn't Google because then, you know, you're doing what is what you're passionate about. So I firmly believe that. Like if you Google it too much, you'll never do anything. You'll say, of course, there's someone else doing almost anything you could think of. Um, no, uh, Nicole, add to that, um, someone uh -huh. said, how did you get the moxie to do this? So I say this now from a, a place of, you know, we've done it for at least the first one, but someone, I have a mentor who asked recently, like, what does failure look like to you? And I think before I did any of this, I had a lot of things I would have considered failures. I had businesses I had tried and started and didn't go anywhere. Um, I had a successful career for 20 years in design, but this was all kind of on the side. And then, like I said, I was doing those cooking videos, but I got to that from a place of, I had tried it before and I made these videos before. And I was like, I hate my voice. I hate the way I look. I hate that. And I scrapped it all. And then during the pandemic, when I said to myself, like, I've been wanting to do this for years. Like, when are you going to do it? If not now? And it worked, you know, it was great. I had a small following. And once you do that, once you take your dream and you take a step towards it, that it builds your confidence to do the next thing. Yeah, so just doing that and being like, I did that, you know, and um, I don't often stop and say like, oh, I made the magazine and then like pat myself in the back. I take one second and then I move on. But um, it gives you that confidence. And I was able to say to this mentor, like failure used to look like to me, like everything that didn't work out for me that I didn't do. And at this point, it I so sincerely believe that failure would have been not trying to do that one thing that's uh, always been in my heart that I wanted to do or not even trying the other business that didn't work out. And that business had so many things that have led to being able to create mocktail quest and other, you know, like I wouldn't, okay. one wouldn't have worked without the other. And at, at a certain point you take all those steps, even if they're small steps and you see the path suddenly becomes clear, like why you are where you are. And that's where yeah. sort of the mocktail came from, you know? 
Perfect. I'm so glad that I like, I was thinking, I hope this question makes sense and that this goes somewhere and you like beautifully brought this all together. And it was a selfish question because, you know, I've just been in a place where in spite of, you know, starting a podcast and having some, some success in at least sustaining it through 50 episodes or so across um, eight months, that's, that's great. But there are other side things that I'm trying to that I'm trying to do that have felt like they failed. And so that was just, for me, this was a really helpful conversation uh, just for where I'm at. And I hope that the listeners will be encouraged by it too, whatever you've got going on and whatever you've got, whatever irons you've got in the fire, you know, Nicole's sounds like messages, just, just give it a shot. And, and if it doesn't work out the way that you think, then maybe it's, maybe it's equipping you for the next thing. Yes, it's true. Absolutely. Yeah. And I want to, I'm curious to hear from you. So um, how do you take care of yourself these days? What I'm asking every guest in this season is this is the podcast for newly sober people who are learning to love ourselves instead of booze. And so I would love to know, Nicole, what are some things that you do to show love to yourself, to sustain that sobriety and to sustain the, the other things that you're, you're doing that, you know, to sustain that passion that you have for this project that is coming to, to fruition here around the time that this uh, episode airs, what, how do you show, how do you show love to yourself? I love that question. That is so great. And it's so important. And I, I, you know, of course, I feel like I go back and forth a little bit. I have periods where I'm really good at that and periods where I'm like, oh boy, you need to at least try to sleep a little, you know? Yeah, I'm in one one of those right now. It's been, um, there's a lot going on and my sleep is disrupted. And, um, but overall, um, a couple of things I've done, I, I started a meditation practice, which has been really, really important to me. It's become very important. And I, I always had a hard time meditating when I was going through a lot and drinking and um, it felt actually like physically painful to me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my brain's always going a million miles an hour, but I've been able to at least sit with no device and no disruption. I have a timer that I use um, and kind of download information and take some quiet time. And that has made a huge difference for me. Um, I've had a lot of anxiety and depression over the years that's been mixed in with all of this. So I, in the winter months, especially I use like a morning light and I'm religious about that and a lot of therapy. (laughs) I'm not afraid to say, I say the words, my therapist said to like everyone who will listen. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I talked about this with my therapist. I think there's just, it's first of all, finding a good therapist who you vibe with is so important and I've had ones I don't and I found one that I do I really love and you know I used to go to therapy and kind of complain and I think that got me nowhere and I've I found someone who has led me in a really good direction to work on being the next level of who I want to be with no timeline you know but just focusing on what got you here and where are you going and how can you protect yourself one of the big things for me is protecting myself from other people's energy I tend to absorb that a lot and take it with me. Yeah. So we've been working on that. Those are the main ways, but I have to be reminded a lot of times too. Uh, like, like I said, I don't even stop. Someone said, well, when do you, someone said to me, when do you take your victory lap? Cause I was like, I have to do this and I have to do that. And they said, where's your victory lap? You know, you accomplished this big thing. And I was like, I have a new habit of if, for instance, when the magazine it's all digital, so not the magazine is print, but like the, the submitting the file itself happens Mm -hmm. digitally. So when Mm -hmm. you press send, you could just easily walk away and 
go just so I do a little like self high five. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, high five. I go, good job. You did it. And then I give myself permission to do the next thing, but and then on to the next thing. Exactly. And I think you can do that all day. You can, uh, things as small as like, I took the trash out, like high five. Good job. <laughs> Because, you know, it's work. It's work running a household or running your life or do anything that yeah. you're doing. You should be appreciating yourself for those things. Yeah. And there are days where taking out the trash is probably the most productive thing that I actually accomplish. And so, hey, like, I'm glad you said that as an example, because, you know, sometimes as as very high performing, overachieving uh, person myself, like I just have always expected myself to do like all the, you know, and I've got these crazy to-do lists that, you know, look like diary of a madman or whatever. And like, but sometimes just checking off something there is maybe it's a little dopamine kick, you know, to just to check it off, cross it out, or even just to do that self high five. And I'm probably going to be doing that uh, the rest of the day and week this week as I edit this episode, like I'm so grateful to you for taking time out of that crazy schedule to come talk to us. And I always give a chance at the end, like, is there um, anything else that you wanted to talk about that we didn't get to talk about? Or do you want to go back and emphasize anything else or? Yeah. I mean, first of all, I'm just really happy to be here. It's so great to talk to you about all this. Um, And I want to just add, you know, our focus, and I think this is important, is that we want to support and accept everyone, no matter what their journey looks like. And I know like mocktails are for everybody and we will appeal to a certain audience, but I want the message to be out there that whatever this journey looks like for you, whether it's, whether you're new to it or in it a long time or struggling or it's feeling easy, um, that's okay. And there are people out there for you. And I don't want to see, like, I don't like seeing judgment on whether you're doing this right or not right. Mm. Whatever works for you is really the right way. And that's important. Yeah. That's a great message and a great philosophy to carry through. I'm sure that with you as the, as the head honcho of after magazine, that that's going to percolate throughout your, your organization and through uh, the writing and that that's going to come through in, in, in that, in every, in every, um, I almost said episode, every issue that comes out. So make sure you check out uh, After Magazine, which is going to be coming out online and in print. The link will be in the show notes. And if you'd like to connect with Nicole, I will also um, have her contact information in there as well. So uh, thank you again, Nicole, for joining us for this episode of I Kiss Alcohol Goodbye. Until next time, Al and Spruce and Nicole and I wish you our very best and send you all our sober vibes and we say goodbye alcohol and hello life and much love to you all and peace